0: Let's go, Tigers! Bring it in! Bring it in, guys! Let's go! Grab some bench. Look how much time it takes for them to come in. Take a seat! Let's go! Okay, guys. Had you come here early today so we can talk about some sloppy play. It's come to my attention that lately I've noticed a, a general blatant disregard for our game plan. Ambrose? Yeah. Saw a bunch of nonsense out there. What was going through your head out there
1: last week? I was breaking my back for you, Coach, because of my love for the game. Liar! Jack! What? Who are you supposed to pass the ball to? The yeah, Italians. Right.
0: Alex, when?
2: When I come in contact with the ball.
0: The instant you come in contact with the ball. That's our strategy. It's one of the many plays we've worked out.
1: It's the only play we've worked out.
0: How many sarcastic pills do you take this morning?
1: Coach, I'm just Well Coach, you're just training. hey.
3: hey. Been all over and when she gets home there's none left for me
1: Hey everybody, episode 42 of the Bro Love cast coming at you. We had a great interview today. Chris interviewed Bobby Warshaw, professional MLS soccer player, started his career for FC Dallas, played for DC United, ended his career with the Harrisburg City Islanders, played for many teams in between, is a published author. His book came out in 2017. It's called When the Dream Became Reality. I believe now he works for MLSsoccer.com. So without further ado, here's that interview. Enjoy. All right. Good
2: morning, good afternoon, good evening, listeners, depending on when you're uh, tuning in here, but as promised, um, we've got a very important guest, uh, someone I'm... Uh, very excited to speak with. Haven't, uh, haven't spoken with him in a while. We, uh, grew up in the same town, um, of Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, an old friend of mine. Um, but it's only fitting. Uh, it's World Cup season right now. Nothing really else is going on in the sporting world. The Phil's are making a push. Eagles are about to start, uh, you know, uh, training camp. The Sixers are still chasing after free agents, but really no tangible sporting events. Except, of course, For the biggest sporting event in the world, that is the World Cup. So, who better to bring in than Bobby Warshaw? I don't think I'm uh, speaking in hyperbole when I say he might be one of the top 100 American minds when it comes to soccer right now. I don't think that's hyperbole. uh, Thanks, dude.
0: I really appreciate that.
2: I don't want to gas him up any further, but uh, Bobby, uh, welcome to the uh, podcast.
0: Thanks, man. Listen, I've heard your voice a lot, and I always knew you had a good voice. But now that we're doing radio together, you really do have a really sexy radio voice.
2: You know, I always wish it was a little deeper, but uh, you gotta play uh, the cards you don't. You know.
0: You do. You you do great things with it. You're working it.
2: <laughs> I appreciate that. So, um, it's just so uh, some people, you know. The Brotherly Love Sports Podcast has a wide-ranging audience base. I don't know where these people are from. I don't know who's, how, even how they found out about it. So a lot of people might have no idea even who I am or who you are. So at the risk of giving you a big head, I'm going to just give a little background information on you for the listeners, if you don't mind. Is that all right?
0: Okay. That sounds great.
2: So uh, Bobby Robert Warshaw attended McCannsburg Area Senior High School, which is right outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, um, where he starred on the soccer field. Uh, We're we're talking about a two-time Gatorade State Player of the Year, a Pennsylvania Soccer Association Player of the Year, uh, earned a place to play on the U.S. national team, the U-17 squad, during the 2005 season. Uh, we're talking about a, a a guy who went to the University of Stanford. So not just <laughs>
0: Stanford, <laughs> hey, Stanford University. <laughs> Stanford University.
2: My apologies. See, that's what I mean. I couldn't even get in there. So Stanford University, um, where he was a semi-finalist for their equivalent of the Heisman Trophy, the Herman Trophy. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, but people don't care. that I people don't care about this stuff. I played pro. I got a first-round draft pick, played pro, went to Europe, came back, and now I'm just a has-been. A has-been who likes doing podcasts.
2: So we can sum it up, I guess, that this, this guy knows his shit about soccer. He's a well-traveled individual. He's experienced D1 American sports. He's uh, played professionally in the U.S., played overseas he's uh he's really seen it all and that's why we wanted to bring you in and one thing that uh, as i said that i consider you one of the greatest minds in american soccer that wasn't uh bullshit i mean from your your well-rounded uh experience in all these different kind of avenues along with your stanford education your parents uh educators uh themselves um so you're someone who is Uh, I'm very excited to speak about it. I've been very excited all day to have this interview because the whole world is watching World Cup, and I don't think probably 90% of the people in the United States have any idea what they're watching.
0: Yeah, it's kind of depressing. I don't don't, don't know what the exact number is, but yeah, it's less than I would like it to be. Since I now am an analyst for MLS and do writing and TV, I would like more people to watch it because that would mean i make more money if we had a bigger audience. But you know we're getting there.
2: Yeah, like do you see Brian Windhorst on television and you're like, how does Brian
0: Windhorst make more money than I do? I am just amazed that this dude, his job is just covering the single other person. He's been doing it for almost 20 years. Like I don't understand how LeBron hasn't been just like, give me someone else, like anybody else, please. <laughs> it's
2: crazy. And not hate on Brian Windhorst, but it's like, man, that's that he's got the that's the gravy
0: train right there. He really lucked out. It really is. It really is. I will say my other biggest sports accomplishment is that I got to play on a high school team with you. I don't know if people know how good you were at basketball in high school, and we basically said, we need that dude to come play for our soccer team. So we pulled you out of soccer retirement, 5 years soccer retirement to come start for our varsity team.
2: It's true. Bobby, uh, many your name is brought up in conversation anytime anyone asks me what sports I played in high school, because I say, I pretty much just played basketball, but I did play two years of soccer. Because my really good my really good friend Bobby, who's a stud soccer player, told me I had to come out and play for the team, so I just played right back and ran around since I lost all touch on the ball once I stopped playing soccer.
0: So you' are brought maybe up, you did the job,
2: and actually later, I want to discuss why not only myself, but why a lot of great athletes uh, in the United States stop playing soccer at you know maybe third grade, fourth grade, what have you, but I have a good
0: answer to that. All
2: right, good. Before we get into that, uh, the most pressing matters. Uh, Earlier today, France defeated Belgium in the World Cup semis, earning their place in the finals. Did you watch the game? Where were
0: you watching the game?
2: And just uh, talk to me about your thoughts on that particular game.
0: I did watch the game. I I watched it from our studio here in New York at the MLS offices. And my thoughts on the game were that Angolo Conte is just the best player in the world right now. Amir, I think it's probably messy still, but after that, one B has to be Angolo Conte. Everywhere he goes, he wins. When he was at Leicester City as defensive midfielder, they had the biggest upset in modern sports history in the world. He goes to Chelsea. They win the Premier League the first year with him there. And now he's at France. And this dude is just dominant on a soccer field. And it's not always pretty. He's not the, the guy that's going to do step-overs or make incredible passes. But the way this guy covers ground and reads the game, I mean, look what he did to Kevin De Bruyne and, and Hazard. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne was the best, was the best attacking midfielder in the world this year, playing for Man City, and he was an average Joe because of Angola Conte for France. So yeah, I'm a, I'm an, and, uh, I love talking about defensive midfielders, but when I watched that game, it was all about Conte.
2: Well, as a defensive midfielder yourself, I can I can understand where that uh, that love comes from. And forgive me, um, I forgot to mention or I forgot to ask you specifically, what are you doing with the uh, MLS uh, network now?
0: Uh, just a broadcaster and a writer. Okay. Put out a few columns a week, and then do our shows. And we're just trying to we're launching the TV department, so it's all pretty new. But so far, it's been cool.
2: That's awesome, and that's based out of New York. Yep.
0: Yep. Beautiful. Today, we recorded like our part in the interruption kind of debate, kind of conversation show.
2: That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty so, cool. So France punches their ticket to play the winner of England-Croatia tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. I, because, as I, everyone who listens to this podcast knows, I can't watch sports without betting on them in some way or some form. I actually was involved in a bit of a uh, World Cup fantasy pool of sorts. You got to pick two players mm-hmm. and four teams. I don't know if you're familiar with this type of format of fantasy. Yeah,
0: okay, of course, of course.
2: Yeah, so uh, needless to say, all my selections have been uh, defeated. They're no longer in the tournament except for one, and that is Mr. Harry Kane.
0: Yeah, let's go. Good pick.
2: And what's important with me for Harry Kane is there's a lot of bonus points if he wins the Golden Boot. So this game coming up against Croatia, I need him to have a strong performance. Would love to see them punch their ticket to the final. Do you think they're going to uh, best a Croatian squad that had to go into PKs their last two times out?
0: The thing about the, Croatia, the Croatia squad is that they have the best center midfielder in the world right now. The best non goal Conte defensive midfielder, I should say, in Luka Modric. And they have one of the top five other center midfielders. And the way soccer is nowadays, if you can dominate the middle of the field you're going to dominate the game. So even though they don't have a ton of other pieces around them, and especially with the international game. So when you're in a club team, and remember, for people who listen to this, when you see the, the, you know France and England and Croatia, they're only with that team, you know, like 10 days a year. The other 345 days or 350 days, they're with their club team. So when you come with your national team, you really don't get any time to train. You don't get any time to prepare. So there's not very sophisticated style. There's not really tactics. So if you have generals in the middle of the field, if you have center midfielders who can tie everything together, you're at a huge advantage. And that's what we've seen from Croatia. Ivan Rakitic and Luka Modric, they're just those guys. They get on the ball, and the whole machine works really well with them on it, like I said, which is a big advantage in their national game. With that said, it's, a, it's been a of set pieces, right? Corner kicks, free kicks, almost half the goal has been court, scored on set pieces, and England has been the best at it. Uh, and, and until you can figure out how to stop their set pieces, nothing else matters. Because the flow of the game, you might only get one or two opportunities, but you're going to get six or seven free kicks. So I had, I feel bad saying this because I, I wish soccer wasn't so dependent on set pieces, but you've got to pick England.
2: Yeah, and that's an interesting point you make about the difference between playing for club versus country. I think, uh, especially the uneducated soccer fan, they know that they know that these players play for you know a club team like your Real Madrid or Liverpool's, uh, what have you. But that's a, I mean, even myself, uh, the way you put it, like maybe only 10 days, maybe only you know any uh, small amount of number it is days year, I don't think we kind of understand how little these particular groups of players have been on the same field within this past given year.
1: Yeah, I
0: mean, I was talking to my mom about this, and I basically told her that these guys have only been together for two weeks before the World Cup, and her mind was blown. She's like, this is the biggest event in the world in sports, and they only got two weeks to practice together, and that's the way it works. But not just that. They're all coming off gruesome European leagues, where they played 40 to 60 games in a season, and 40 to 60 games in a season is a ton, and these players are destroyed. So what you're seeing with the World Cup, it's fun and exciting, but it's not the most pristine soccer in the world for those reasons. But, I mean, who cares? It's fun. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's a good point, too.
2: And maybe some of that, you know, kind of tired legs or those, like, brutal club seasons have led potentially to some of the uh, early exits we've seen. Um, There's a lot of upsets in this World Cup. um, And actually, uh, I was, uh, you know, uh, creeping on your Twitter to prepare for this. And uh, I Mm -hmm. thought you had a very uh, poignant, hilarious tweet when you said, all those people who love the upsets, are you excited to watch Croatia versus Russia? And I had a little chuckle to myself because that's the way I feel about March Madness. Everyone loves to see, you know, Nevada, Mississippi State, uh, you know, pull off an upset, but then you're stuck with, you know, Belmont versus, you know, Creighton in the lead and eight. nobody watches. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. see that. So who was kind of, maybe you can do most surprising and then also most disappointing as a fan of soccer. Who did who were you most surprised lost early and who were you kind of uh, let down because you really enjoy watching them play?
0: I was most surprised by Germany, right? I mean, they, they're in this weird time period where they had this aging group that won the 2014 World Cup, but they're now kind of in their 30s and that's just a dangerous time in soccer. Now, soccer players run more than ever it's more of an athletic, fast game than ever. And it's, I feel so bad saying this because my birthday's in two months and I turn 30. But, like, 30 is kind of over the hill in this game now. Um, so Germany was at this weird period where they had a ton of talent, but, like, it was just, like, the wrong age and the wrong mix of players. Um, but with that said, everyone, they were still favorite coming in. So it was a surprise to see Germany go out, but it was sad to see Argentina go out. I mean, for whatever you think about Ronaldo versus Messi – Watching Messi is both fun and how good he is, but also just high drama. I mean, that dude is a whole country and perhaps the most soccer crazed country in the world, depending on him. And it's really depending on just him. So I think both for like the fun of the soccer, but also just the drama involved, I would have liked to see Argentina go a little farther.
2: I agree. And actually, on um, the game that kind of uh, was a bit of a heartbreaker for them, one of the best games I've seen in the tournament, which I happen to have the pleasure of watching from a small little bar in uh, Brooklyn, my first time in Brooklyn, was that France-Argentina game. Uh, that was just an, an unbelievable game to me. That was back and forth, a lot of counterattacking. Obviously, it's fun to see some of the uh, fantastic goals that were scored, but that Mbappe, was Mbappé,
0: man, Mbappé.
2: So, I'm glad you mentioned him. I got him in my notes here. So, I'm going to jump okay. a- I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but so we don't really give soccer too much uh, airtime on the on the on the podcast and it really doesn't get too much airtime okay. in the United States. But I'm sitting on a on a stool, enjoying a nice uh, Bloody Mary, watching that game. And I actually um, was not very familiar with Mbappe. And I see this guy just tearing through Argentina's defense, just running by guys. And my buddy, who's sitting next to me, Miles Cooney, looks over at me and he says, "Is that Julio Jones?" And we kind of had a little <laughs> chuckle. We had a little chuckle. To, we had a little chuckle to ourselves. And we were like, "Jesus, man, what if?" are great athletes that we kind of associate with football, basketball, some of our other sports, happen to you know play soccer like some of these other countries. And so we started debating about how fast Mbappe was and what his athletic ability would be compared to. So I know you've played against some some of the best athletes in soccer from the national team, from the MLS, from overseas. How would you compare a player like Mbappe, this young stud from France, and some of the other kind of most athletic, or the players, as they like to say, with the greatest pace, which I love that term, pace. I think we need to adopt that in the U.S., but how would you compare his pace to some of our greatest athletes in other sports?
0: So I played, I mean, at at Stanford, we had the football and the basketball guys there, and we'd see them in the gym, and the fastest guys I played with at soccer, listen, I actually couldn't compare it. General speed in soccer—it's more about acceleration. It's more about your ability to get over the ten yards. And from what I saw at Stanford, the football and basketball players and the soccer players was that the professional, the pacey professional soccer players were just faster over ten yards. After that, I'm not really sure. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, Chris—you're hitting one of the hot button issues, man. Because we talk about this in soccer, and it actually makes the soc- soccer diehards mad when people say, "Oh, what if our best athletes play soccer?" Because they're just completely different levels of athleticism, right? LeBron James couldn't play soccer. The ball is on the ground. I mean, there's a reason that Zlatan I- Ibrahimovic is the only player that tall, that good in the history of the game. Yeah. Right? It's a different level of skill set for what you need in soccer. You need, and the biggest thing is center of gravity. You need, to ha- you need to have good balance and good acceleration off of like a center spot to run at angles. Um, so I, we don't, it's fun to think about how good Julio Jones would be at soccer but he actually just wouldn't be good at soccer so it's a moot point.
2: I got you. So maybe we're maybe we need to look at a guy more like a Deshaun Jackson, a Kyrie Irving. Like yeah, some, some Exactly. Yeah, some guys. I mean, I picture I think the I think what we like to fantasize about as uh US sports fans in regards to our soccer players is a lot of these other countries and obviously there's French basketball players, you know. They have Tony Parker. They have basketball leagues. Mm-hmm. They all, there, there are other sports played in these countries, but I would say – I don't think uh, I'd be exaggerating when I say soccer is by far the most dominant sport in mm-hmm. a lot of these countries. So I think what we like to think about is mm-hmm. if we took our entire pool of athletes and just they all focused on it, which ty- what type of talent we might be able to develop in the U.S. And the reason why I bring that up is because obviously we were not in the World Cup. We did not qualify for uh, uh, this tournament. And we weren't the only nation. I mean, even look at a team like Italy. Italy didn't qualify. So uh, we were all up in arms about not qualifying, but that happens to countries all the time. But um, outside of you know it becoming our most popular sport, which I just really don't see happening in the United States, um, and obviously this is a big question, but from well, the U.S. We're,
0: let's get into this next, too.
2: Yeah, from a US national team from a US national team perspective, if I give you the keys to the kingdom, you are now mm-hmm. the head of US soccer. What are some just kind of, you know, key institutional changes that you would make and also, if you had kind of had your one or two dream scenarios, what would you change about like the culture of U.S. sports that you think would affect uh, the the men's national team and just our overall impact of soccer?
0: I actually have, have a very specific answer to this, and it sounds like a joke, but I'm in no way joking. I would make every every single person who coaches a soccer team anywhere in America, I would make them read every Pep Guardiola quote ever done. Anything Pep has ever said about this game of soccer, I would make it mandatory reading for anyone uh, who's gonna coach kids or coach at any level. No. And not necessarily because, and, and if you don't know who Pep Guardiola is, he is the probably the best coach in the world right now, but he believes in possession and passing soccer. He is a diehard for keeping the ball on the ground and playing a certain style. But, and I personally love that style, but I don't even care if other teams play that style. What you get when you read about Pep, Is the A, the level of accountability. I think in general in sports, we just let people off the hook. Like we let them do a drill half-assed, and it's like, why don't we just yell at that person and make sure they do the drill better? But B, the level of intense thought it takes to understand this game. That whether there's you can't take anything for granted. And the great example I would give is that take a left back, for example, right? We've always thought, you know, you think of a player as a left back, but really what, you, what you're supposed to do is not think of that player as left back. You should think of him, what is he good at, and what do I need on my team? So even though that player has played left defender his whole life, if he actually has a skill set that fits what I want out of a center midfielder, screw it. I'm going to play him in center mid. You've got to break everything down to its smallest pieces to fully understand this game. So I would, if I was king of the world, I would make every coach in America read every Guardiola quote ever done. Um, and two... I would just find a way. I mean, the thing that basketball is on soccer right now is kids play basketball on the street. We don't have enough kids playing soccer in the street. I mean, that's when true, and you know this, It's like the, the true skill and comfort in a sport is gained in the hours away from actual practice. It's gained from playing with your friends in the backyard, from playing at the gym, from just messing around with, like, a buddy in the street. Um, and we just don't have enough kids doing that. So once we can get that into our culture, that's when the real growth happens.
2: Yeah, that's a good point, and you look at a sport like Major League Baseball, um, where the attendance around the league for every team, for the most part, is uh, historically down, um, and that uh, coincidentally coincides with the uh, lowest percentage of black players uh, the league has ever seen, mm-hmm. and it's been Going down year after year after year after year, and you know I was walking around uh, Manhattan and Brooklyn and Harlem uh, a couple weeks ago. I didn't see any games of stickball going down, but and I yeah. didn't, and I didn't see any pickup soccer going down. But I sure as hell saw a lot of kids playing shooting hoops, throwing the football, or playing uh, you know pickup yep. uh, outside. So yep. you make you make a very good point. Totally. And, and we were talking earlier uh, in an episode in the podcast where we were um. Discussing whether or not – so if you're, a, if you're a talented soccer player as a youth, uh, is it pretty expensive to get a coach or to get training or to get into a system where the, the instruction and the competition is at a level that it can foster that development?
0: So this is the other hot button issue in soccer right now is that are we pricing kids out? And the answer is yes. But like, it's just the same as we're doing to everything in America, right? Like, it's just easier. We miss entire parts of our population because things are expensive and we don't find ways to help get them in. So I would say soccer has this problem, but I don't think it's like a soccer thing. I think it's an American thing that we don't find ways to help, um, to help everyone. So yeah, it they, they usually costs somewhere between two and $3,000 a year for a kid to play high level soccer. America.
1: Yeah,
2: and that like that does price some people out, but you would like to think if someone does have the talent, you know, there's always the, they always push a fee aside, they always, you know, so a coach or an assistant coach covers the expense of the camp. I mean, you see that in basketball, like a lot of the kids who are traveling with these AAU teams, uh, you know, they don't have the money to travel across country to a tournament in Vegas or back and forth, but you have either the shoe companies paying the coaches, handling the travel, there seems to be always ways around that. But it is interesting to kind of see how if you're, if you're a talented youth and you don't have access to good coaching, to good competition, you might just kind of uh, move to a sport that you're able to access
0: more readily, which oftentimes is a basketball or a football. Can we go back to your point on how you don't think soccer will become one of the bigger sports in the country? And I don't say this because I have a vested interest. I, just, I happen to disagree with you. Okay. Like, I don't see a way in which... Basketball is going to win, right? Like what the NBA has is fucking amazing, you know. With like basketball's the very the court, hot right now. Basketball's the, very hot. The, the personalities, like the people covering, like Bill Simmons, Zach Lowe, Woes, like these dudes are amazing. Like they are just the best in every possible way. But I don't see a scenario where football survives.
2: That uh, that was I was just thinking about that. That is an interesting point with the with the CTE, the head injuries. Um, that we're going to see participation. To stuff.
0: Yeah, right. Like kids, kids don't like kids. Want their athletes to be socially active, right? Who doesn't want people to be socially active? It's like fifty-five-year-old wealthy white dudes, and they're going to die at some point. You know, like I don't understand between all these factors how the NFL is still a force.
2: It's a good point. So my my problem with not my problem with soccer. The reason why I see soccer um, kind of facing a difficult challenge is having marketable stars. I think is one of the most... Okay, we
0: talk about this all the time.
2: Yeah, it's a very important thing um, in sports is to have marketable stars. And right now, there's really no names in U.S. soccer that get anyone excited. Case in point, uh, we had some soccer players, you know, I work in the wine spirits industry. We had some U.S. national team players because they were playing a friendly in Philadelphia. And, uh, one of the Mm -hmm. local bars was hosting them there for a watch party. And we were floating out some of the names of the players. And I was, I was stoked. I was like, yo, we gotta get over, we gotta get people over there. This is unbelievable. And I was sending out, you know, the list, uh, telling people who's gonna be there. And I got a lot of blank faces looking back at me. There just doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be a familiarity with these players. I don't know if it's different uh, for kids, uh, the youth. Maybe I'm just old and, and not current with the times. But other than you know, a Pulizic, uh, Christian Polizic, who who is a who's a young marketable player uh, that uh, if you're you know 10 years old and you're begging your parents to take you to your local soccer team, who are you wearing a jersey of? Who are you excited to see other than the past? their prime uh, European players that are
0: coming over here for a paycheck and
2: some sunshine in uh, L.A.
0: Now, we talk about this all the time, and you're spot on. When we try and build Major League Soccer, people are interested in in individuals and stars, and we just have a total lack of personality and star power, and not, not necessarily name recognition, but just personality, right? Like, the kind of shit that Joel Embiid tweets or, like, the kind of thing, like, when Kevin Durant goes on Bill Simmons and, like, drops the blog boy line. You know, like, iconic personality driven moments like that no you're spot on we talk about this within the soccer world all the time
2: yeah it's and it's interesting and it's kind of uh it's like you know um what came first the chicken or the egg like does everyone is everyone so familiar with these basketball players because of just their own personalities or is it also because there's an entire machine espn sports center billion dollar industries pushing them in your face at all times Mm-hmm. So, yeah. If, so maybe no, you're right. maybe there are some, you know, soccer players that I do have the personality, but they're buried under just pages and pages and pages of football, basketball and baseball content. I mean, if I want to go see MLS mm-hmm. news, just open up your ESPN browser. How long how many long do I have to scroll down until I finally see some MLS stuff?
0: Yeah, we talk about this.
2: No, it's true. And that's why we need smart people like yourselves, Mr. Warshaw. With this platform, you were just—we're so working saying, on it. i think it's a beautiful thing because I think, um, and kind of the barriers to release content have kind of been, you know, uh, cast aside. I mean, look at this podcast. It's not like we're in some yeah, right? studio. I'm in my buddy Ian's house. We record it, we put it out, and anyone with a phone and internet service can get it. So I think we are at a point where um, something, you know, that doesn't isn't picking up mainstream attention. There's a lot of backdoor channels that you can get that out there.
0: Yeah, yeah, but yeah, well, I, I agree with you. You're Right? We need personalities, and I'm not exactly sure how we get them.
2: I think it's a I think it's a slow burn too. I mean, um how is attendance? How is attendance at MLS games?
0: Great. It's amazing. Attendance this is one so where MLS dominates, right? We have incredible attendance. Um it's the I mean, I think the average is like 25,000. I mean, Atlanta gets 70,000, Seattle gets 35, Portland sells out at 28. I mean, attendance is very high across the board. Um one of the highest leagues in the world actually. I mean, partially cuz our cities are so big and our stadiums are big. Um and attendance and, like, in-game experience is amazing. TV ratings are still down, uh, and that's the big moneymaker, yeah. right? So, like, that's the driving force. The way you make money in sports is on TV deals. Uh, and, yeah, that's, like, the next frontier.
2: No, it, no, it certainly doesn't help, uh, the growth of soccer.
0: <laughs> missing the World Cup. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> but thank God we got the 2026 bid. That, that keeps the sport alive.
2: Explain that to me. A lot of people, that kind of flew under the radar. I didn't even realize until a buddy of mine told me. So, talk about this World Cup bid.
0: Basically, it's one country, one vote, right? So, the country of Haiti gets the same number of votes as France and Brazil. Um, and there's two problems with that. One is that if we think of bribery as bad, right? But, like, bribery in this sense is not necessarily, necessarily illegal. So, if the person that you know, if, if Morocco wants the bid, or if the president of FIFA wants a favor from that country, what do you do? You say, "Oh, we'll put two million dollars worth worth of fields in that country," or "We'll bring you over for a friendly to play the Spanish national team." Like, there's things that can be given in this, um, and obviously the the smaller countries can be got or you know, I use the word "bought" pretty easily. Um, so it just makes any means anything can happen. So if you're if you're a cutter or you're Russia and you're willing to do whatever, um, it's pretty easy to do. The second part is that Morocco, who we beat out, it was U.S. and Morocco, or U.S., Mexico, and Canada, I should say, versus Morocco. Morocco has no infrastructure. They need stadiums. They need roads. And we need to build shit. There's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of, like, underhand deals to be done. Um, so that's why we almost lost. If you look at the report, we beat Morocco in every single category, except that there's a lot of people that could have made money. Um, and when there's money to be made, there's shady stuff to be done. But in the end, we won, so it's all good.
2: So we're gonna get into the uh, the cities or the uh, that are hosting these games right after this. We're gonna take a quick break.
1: Oh, maybe we should just take a break.
2: Okay, okay, fine. You're right. Let's uh,
0: let's take a break. Let's cool off. Okay, let's get some frozen yogurt or something.
2: All right, we're back. Uh, Bobby just dropped the bombshell that organizations such as FIFA and uh, the NCAA might not have the best intentions of everyone at heart <laughs> in regards to the... That's an exclusive uh, right there. Exclusive <laughs> information. Hot take. But uh, we did get the bid. But So what are the major cities that will be uh, hosting World Cup games come 2026? Is that correct?
0: Yep. Still to be determined, the only city that doesn't want them is... Chicago. So it'll be 60 games in the U.S., I believe, and then 10 in Canada and 10 in Mexico. Do, we, do they know where the finals will be? Final it sounds like it's going to be at MetLife in New York. The semifinals, probably Dallas, and I think the other one was, was Atlanta. But don't quote me on that. Probably actually Los Angeles will get one of the semifinals. The problem is it's in the summer, so you have to find. In 94, when it was here, they did the final at the Rose Bowl, and it was so hot. Yeah, that's 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 rough. You gotta have to find yeah. You gotta find places where it's not gonna be unbearable.
2: Yeah. So if you're the director, Philadelphia'll get a game. Oh, that's awesome. And you're I mean you gotta you look at this. You'll get a
0: quarterfinal probably.
2: Yeah, you gotta look at this if you're running U.S. soccer as kind of like not a timeline, but kind of like a deadline. Like we need to kind of right the ship a little bit because you definitely want to have a good showing on your home
0: soil. Yeah, you do. And remember, four of the last five. I guess now with Russia six, four of the last six host nations have made the semifinal and every host nation except one South Africa has made that of the group.
2: The power the power of the people is strong. It's, I mean, it's the home field advantage. Some people think it's a myth just it like is. momentum, but to those stat nerds that say momentum isn't a real thing, I uh, challenge you to play a sport once in your life. Momentum
0: doesn't You exist. and Barkley, dude. You and Barkley are about, about to take on the stat world again.
2: <laughs> hey, I, I, lo- I love the analytics. I love the analytics, um, but sometimes I have a problem with them. But I will say as well, I love the breakdowns that you do of the uh, the different formations, the strategy, really kind of, kind of doing things that guys uh, like a Zach Lowe on the ringer, like you mentioned, they're highlighting the strategy and really getting into the nuts and bolts of the sport, which I think is another valuable thing because um, the more educated uh, the viewer and the consumer is, I think the more they'll appreciate and the more they'll follow the sport.
0: Yeah, we think about this with soccer all the time. It's like, listen, I never, I just went to Australia and I never heard, seen the rules of Australian league or, you know, Aussie rules football or their form of rugby. But once I understood the rules, I would watch every game. Like, the more you understand about the game, the more likely you are to watch. Um, so the more, here's what I would say about one of the other reasons I think that soccer will grow in popularity is that people just don't know the game yet. And I think as we have, I think as little by little as it grows, the feedback system will increase. People always say like, well, soccer is boring or there's not plays or anything. Well, there are right. If I can somehow teach you that every single play is a win or a loss, and every single play matters in a certain way, the more we can get that information out there, the more in, the more enthralled by the game you'll be. You don't be like oh, there's only one goal in 90 minutes. Well, if I can show you like the momentary victories in each scenario, what every team wants to do, um, what's going through the players' minds and their you know and their emotions, um, I think that will help
2: soccer grow. I completely agree. It's it's the same reason why when I'm you know up at One in the morning watching a West Coast basketball game, and I uh, see an expert defense rotation where a guy gets beat off the dribble, uh, the big man's over to help, then the weak side guard drops down to deflect the pass out of bounds. Nothing really happened. There's no bucket. There's no dunk. But that's just like the most beautiful thing to me, seeing a a correct defensive rotation where all five guys are moving on a string. Or when a team like the Spurs penetrates, kicks, makes five passes around the perimeter, then dumps the ball back inside and gets an easy layup. Those are the things that people love to watch basketball purists. And the more, to your point, the more people are educated about soccer. It's not just going to be people, you know, hoping to see a bicycle kick, but, you know, they'll see a combination of passes, maybe a well-developed counterattack. Even if it doesn't end in a goal, they can appreciate that, you know, moment of brilliance that just took place. Right.
0: Right. Dude, that's why I love you. I love you because you get a hard-on over defensive rotation. Oh, dude, it's, it's one of so, the
2: thi- It's my biggest <laughs> gripe in the world. That's why sometimes when I'm playing pickup basketball, I just want to lose my mind. <laughs>
0: So, hey, let me give you three little things to watch for in tomorrow's game to, like, hopefully make the experience better. One is that defensively in soccer, you never want them to go through you. So when you look at the players, they're spaced and angled in ways that they want the opposition to go around them. And Every time a pass goes in between midfielders, down the middle, like within the width of the 18, it's a victory for the attacking team. Um, the other thing is that right now the most important thing in soccer is the second the ball turns over. So when a team loses the ball, watch – how exposed they are and how quickly the opposition tries to hit that, the space that they left open. Um, and the third thing is on set pieces, watch the picks, right? It's supposed, it's supposed to be a basketball thing, but nowadays on soccer and set pieces, team set picks. So a player will fake near post and he'll peel far post and his teammate won't like, you know, stand there with his arms up like they do in basketball, but he'll just clearly be in the way on purpose to block the guy from marking him.
2: And I've noticed as well, the set pieces, when they get in that bunch, there's a lot of tugging and grabbing and pushing and pulling. It's it's pretty physical in those set pieces.
0: It is. And they've tried to, one of the new rules is that they're trying to enforce that if you do hold or grab or bear hug, they're going to call a penalty. So it's actually less than it used to be.
2: Interesting. Well, those are some great things to look for and the other thing unfortunately that everyone looks for and I wanted to get your uh, two cents on it. I think it's kind of it's like a very, you know, American thing to complain about, but it's been a topic of conversation especially in regards to the Neymar's of the world, but the diving and stuff. Yeah, we're
0: going to talk flopping, yeah. I
2: know, I'm sorry. It's it's like it's like, you know, talking politics at this point. It's like, yes, we know some soccer players get a little theatrical on the <sighs> on the ground, but I just you know I can understand uh see so th- see this is my these are my feelings on it I'm perfectly fine when someone gets contact in the box falling down to try and get a penalty kick mm-hmm. that's perfectly that's that's strategy that's a very valuable uh, penalty kick or set piece you just won. There was contact. You fell down because if you don't fall down and you get tripped up and nothing happens to the play, you squander an opportunity. So I'm perfectly fine with taking that contact, maybe embellishing a little bit to try and earn your team.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and I think most people that kind of understand soccer are fine with that. It's the theatrical rolling on the ground, the you know uh, the the, sh- the shrieks of agony and pain that I think people have a little bit of a difficulty Stomaching.
0: Yeah. So I'm with you. But I would say, A, it's not as bad as it's made out to be. It just happens to be the thing that goes viral nowadays. I mean, if it happens twice in a tournament, that's not that often. But if that's what hits Twitter and it's what the non soccer fans see, then it's what they see. But two, it's also partially cultural, right? Like if I step on your foot in the American culture, you like fall over, you pound the ground. But if I step on your foot in the Brazilian culture, the Italian, right? Like they would roll. And I know that sounds weird. But, like, what what Neymar did didn't feel theatrical to him. It's like, if he was a kid and he got stepped on, like, that's just kind of, like, the way you handle it. So part of it just shows the cultural difference, you know. I think that they perceive it in Brazil differently than we perceive it here.
3: Yeah,
2: and I, I, I do agree with you. I mean, if it happens, you know, four times out of, you know, thousands of plays that happen. But if it's on, you know, the, the, the Twitter cycle, once you make it on there, it kind of becomes a defining moment. Then with- it's game over. And it's game over. Yeah. Well, words. So, real quick, since you did mention things to look for tomorrow, uh, you did say England's going to win, so that gives us an England versus France final. Two historic countries. I'm ex- I'm excited. I'm excited. Know it's f- I'm excited. I like how you
0: did like your best soccer your best soccer phrase there.
2: Yeah, yeah. But no know what, know what I know what I found uh to be interesting, and not to deviate from the point, I was listening to a uh interview um with Rudy Gobert, who is of French descent, he's the center for uh the Utah mm-hmm. Jazz, and he uh he made an interesting point. He said uh in you know, not exact quote, but something to the likes of as there's a lot of you know, African-born players on the French team, and we're not the only country that has issues with you know, immigration of, of, of foreign people into their countries. Uh, and he said it's funny, because uh, Rudy Gobert obviously is a darker complected. He said it's funny. You know, we're not French until we're good at sports, and then we're French.
0: Yeah, and there's something in the New York Times, you're a nice article. So Mbappe, who we already talked about, grew up on the outskirts and grew up playing in a very multicultural immigrant-based town, and his success bringing notoriety to this town, making this town mainstream and well-known and accepted has gone a long way in the French society. This is what I love about sports, man. It's all a bunch of bullshit, but like every once in a while, this shit actually matters, and it's pretty cool. Oh,
2: I mean and i i people people laugh at me sometimes you know, I'll just like throwing a ball his life you know after a photo or to somebody, and I mean that sincerely most of some of the best friends i've met in this world, some of the people I've had the pleasure of you know going to school in Charleston, living in Texas, moving to Pittsburgh. Some of my best friends to this day and are the most lasting friendships i've had are as a result of sport. Uh, whether it be basketball or, you know, whatever other sport it is. So it really is amazing how it it can unify us, uh, especially uh, people of all different uh, colors, sizes, nationalities, and uh, skill level.
0: Ball ball is life is still a dumb line, though. Your friends really let you say that?
2: Oh, all the time, man, all the time. I mean, it's... (laughs) It, it, ball is life, man. Ball is life. It's I, I'll say it till I die, man. It's my, it's a different ball. There's d- many different balls, but you, know, you can substitute whichever your favorite ball is. But all you know the all that deep New York Times stuff aside, give me the game prediction. What are we looking for, and who do you got hosting up that glorious trophy?
0: Oh, at this point, it's hard to pick against France, man, especially if Paul Pogba. So I talked about Angola Conte this past game, but the other thing is that when Paul Pogba plays as, I don't know if disciplined is the right word, but functional. We've always known he's incredibly talented in the middle of the field, and he can do incredible things. But when he combines that incredible talent and skill with a functional role to dominate the middle of the field with Conte, France is nearly unbeatable. Because we always knew that they were talented, but like maybe they would let a game slip because they lost focus or lost discipline or didn't have the tactics right. But the way they are now with Pogba and, and Conte in there, and Blaise Matuidi, who plays a little bit of a different role, it's impossible to pick against France. So, I mean England's set pieces always make any game interesting. Um, they got some giants, but I got to go with France. But I'll also cheer for Harry Kane for you, dude, just cuz I want you to make some money.
2: Oh, that's a beautiful thing. So, you heard it here first, call up your bookies, get on Bovada, drive down to Atlantic City. Uh Bobby gave you the, Bobby gave you the golden goose. France is winning the World Cup. Sorry to put all that I also pressure have money on you. Sorry to France put all that so pressure on you. Guys.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. I'm biased too.
2: Ah, uh, beautiful. Well, before we get you out of here, we got I got some quick hitters for you. All right. Mm-hmm. This is not just soccer. This is just some quick hitters. You know. Um, yes. let's get All you, right. Get, so p- let people get a little better insight into into some of your uh, favorite uh, sports figures and times. So we'll start right off the bat. Who is your favorite Eagle of all time? Because you're still an Eagles fan, correct? I know I haven't seen you. Ooh, in Oh, yeah, of, years. of
0: course, dude. Of course. I've soaked in it this year up here. <laughs> uh, favorite Eagle. So we grew up in, like, the Deuce Daly. Like, he was the guy. It was, like, kind of McNabb, but it was, like, Deuce Daly was the coolest of all of them. Uh, I, I mean, I'm still, like, a, am still a Randall Cunningham man. The old school jerseys, the number 12, so I got to go Cunningham.
2: Randall Cunningham, man, that's a, that's a beautiful, that's a, you can't go wrong, Randall Cunningham. Uh, quick uh, little fact, I don't know if you remember this, but um, I was actually in Bobby Warshaw's house, when one of the greatest hits I've ever seen took place, when Sheldon Brown, depleted almost killed Reggie Bush.
0: <laughs> I remember that, dude. I
2: was in your house. I'll never forget it. I remember it. That. that. was one of those hits you don't forget where yeah. you're at. But continuing right along. Yeah, right. Continuing right along. We're going to go to the Phillies. Jimmy Rollins okay. Chase Sutley?
0: Oh, this is a hard one, dude. This is like... Do you guys do you ask this question to everyone?
2: No, dog. This is just for you. I, I curated this list for this, you. We don't bring out old questions. This is Everything's phenomenal. Fresh.
0: This is phenomenal. Like, I, all right. The truth is that I, I want to say Jimmy Rollins, but I'm definitely more of a Chase Utley kind of guy. I'm more like bread and butter and do the fundamentals. I don't have much swag. So I'll, I'll say Chase Utley.
2: And he's handsome as fuck. It's Chase Utley. And that square yeah. jaw.
0: Yeah, right?
2: <laughs> can't beat True. it. All right. Next. Craziest atmosphere you've ever played in? Where was it?
0: Set the cool. scene. Uh, so, so when I was 17, we went down to Brazil and we played a Brazilian team. But it was before, basically like the pre-game, you know, like the the first game of a doubleheader. And doubleheader was one of the, the two biggest rivalries in all of Brazil. So I was 17 years old. There were 40,000 people there, um, and that was wild. You know, I've probably played as an adult in louder places. Um, in Norway or, you know, like in Seattle and and MLS, but as a 17 year old, that was pretty dope.
2: Damn. And were you, was that, did you sustain an injury in that, uh,
3: game?
0: Yeah, that's when I got my teeth smashed in. Got, like the 70th minute, I went up for a header, I got the ball, the guy got me, 20 stitches in the locker room under the stadium, uh, flew home the next day to get five teeth replaced. Oof,
2: nasty. That's what I'm talking about. People don't understand, man. This, this is a violent game when you go up and try to win a ball against some of these dudes.
0: Yeah, yeah. All
2: right. All right, so we're going to transition to staying in the soccer. Most memorable goal. I know you're more of a defensive-minded player, uh, but I know you've put uh, some balls in the back of the net. What's the one goal that you'll uh, always remember?
0: So my first, my my only MLS goal was in the 93rd minute. Uh, we were tied 2-2 in Sporting Kansas City. Full, oh, you know, sold out stadium. The goal was right in front of their their supporter section, and I banged in a header at the very end for us to win three to two. Um, but then in, in Norway, I scored the goal that basically it was an 80th minute goal, ten minutes left in our season, to get us into the playoffs—the first time our club had ever made the playoffs in like the hundred-year history. Jesus.
2: So what goes on when a Nor yeah. when a team in Norway gets a big goal like that, wins the game, qualifies for the playoffs? What 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 what, what happens in Norway at night?
0: So we went out that night. I, I, so I won't give you this example. Well what happened I mean, not much, dude. Norway's a pretty bland place, to be honest. I mean great place to live, but like I wouldn't say it's the place you gotta go to like have a celebratory night. Especially since we played three days later. So that was Saturday and the first playoff game was Wednesday. Um so I think we all just like went home and hung out on a buddy's couch and just had a beer. Hey.
2: <laughs> hey, sometimes that's the best, man. You don't need to go you don't need to be out at the club, just you with your teammates washing down a, you totally. know, a fresh pint of some Norway lager, and it, basting in the victory. Yeah. All right, next American yeah. star in soccer that nobody knows about.
0: Ooh, I mean, that nobody knows about? So, who you guys don't know about, I'll say, I'll throw out uh, Tyler Adams from the New York Red Bulls, 19-year-old. Um, you talk about our athletes, right? Like, he is the best athlete a soccer player could be, right? He is, like, the if we were to, to draw up an athlete, it would be him. But besides that, you know, in the soccer world, we think of talking about athleticism as like, uh, it's what losers do. Like, soccer is not an athletic sport. Um, but he's so he's really good on the ball. So Tyler Adams, 19-year-old, for the New York Red Bulls.
2: Boom, everyone, pay attention. All right, finally, if you could play any sport professionally other than soccer, what would
0: it be? Oh, ooh, I mean, it's got to be. I somebody told me this once, and I think it's true. The the best thing to do in sports is to be a punter, right? Like if you mess up, it doesn't really matter that much. You can't get hit. And if you do get hit, it's a success and your team moves up. Um, So I would say probably be a punter in the NFL where the minimum is like 400 grand and you can have a 20 year career. Say...
2: You go you, you try shaking a shanking a punt at the link and uh, tell me if uh, no one, <laughs> if it doesn't matter. You're gonna yeah, no,
0: but 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 in like the grand scheme of fuck ups in sports, like that's the best. Like there's literally no major thing that can happen to a punter. That's right? True. Whereas that's, like if you're a closer point. or you're a golfer, you know.
2: That's a good point. Yeah, you kinda you kinda pretty much are under the radar. Like how many punters can I name in the NFL? I don't know. Not, th- not that many. All right, and all right, man. Those are the last of the uh, the quick hitters. Um, but one thing I do need to ask you, because I haven't seen you in a while. What kind What kind of shape are you in mm-hmm. nowadays? What are you weighing? How How's your stamina? Are you still You still uh, running around the soccer uh, field at all? You're not getting fat on me, are you?
0: No, dude, so I probably stopped my – I played my last professional game like 16 months ago, but I think I'm fitter than I've ever been because I don't, like, sad eat anymore. Like, I don't get home after a loss and eat a whole pint or gallon of ice cream, (laughs) you know? So, like, I think my body fat is less than it's ever been.
2: Damn, so you're still in shape. That's what I like to see, man. That's what I like to see. Yeah. Uh Um, I also – yeah, so that's beautiful, man. I appreciate you coming on. Like I was – as I said, I was very excited all day. I've been thinking soccer a lot with the World Cup, so we had to get you on here, dropping some knowledge for these people on the podcast. Um, I know uh, me personally, I didn't get to read the whole thing, but as I mentioned earlier, you are a published author, which is pretty ridiculous. I believe believe the name of the book is – when the dream became became reality, the journey of a professional soccer yeah. player and the push for meaning, purpose and contentment. What was that like? Yeah. Well, seeing your name on the front of a book cover as someone who's a very well-read, studious individual yourself.
0: Well, after like 2 years, there's just like let's get this shit out. Yeah, um, but yeah man, I'm proud of it. It's probably like the coolest and like the worst thing I've ever done in my life. Um,
3: <laughs> and so. the quick
0: plug and the quick plug for it is and I you no, know, you guys read a lot of sports books, too. It's like all sports books are about the superstars, the things that went well, how amazing it was. But, like, don't I ever really actually tell you what it feels like to be a professional athlete. You know, like, what it's like to win, to lose, to get benched, to get drafted, um, to change teams, to walk into a new locker room for the first time. Uh, so that's kind of what I try to do. I try to do this, this sports book about a professional athlete that was just, like, real and honest. Uh, so...
2: Well, one of the biggest yeah. uh, kind of accolades I can give it is that it is on the shelf of one of the most well-read individuals I've ever known, and that is my father, Jim White. So, your book, hit, <gasps> hey, your book made it to his shelf, and that is an honor that some of the greatest authors uh, have uh, can share with
0: you. So, well, that is super fucking weird. But I always think I think it's weird that when I have to look somebody in the eye about that's read the book. So, so that's Amen. cool. Tell your dad thanks for reading it.
2: Oh, I will, definitely. Um, Yeah, anything else? Uh, how can how can we find you? I mean, and tell the people where they can see you, what they should keep an eye out on.
0: No, dude, I'm, I still get social media. It gives me anxiety. So nowhere, man, just... You know, I'm, I'm in the plug. You did the book. I appreciate that.
2: All right, cool. Well, we're gonna, we'll, we'll, definitely put up a nice picture of you for our Instagram. Ian always puts up some nice content. Um, but yeah, we really appreciate you coming on. We were, and the only reason Eric and Ian weren't on this podcast is because we didn't want to be talking over ourselves. They gave me some of these questions. We wanted it to, you know, run smooth like silk. We wanted it to, you know, be a, a, a very professional uh, for the professional man yourself. So
0: I hope you enjoyed well, nice, it. Nice, dude. Thanks. Yeah, man. I love you guys. You're doing a great job. I'm listening. Or I have been. I went back and listened to a bunch today, and it's awesome. I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing.
2: Appreciate it, man. Well, yeah, anytime you're in Philly, you come right in. We'll bring you in for a live, in-person interview, and of course, we'll go grab ourselves a beer afterwards.
0: Sounds great. And next time you're up in New York, man, I got to get that text now.
2: N- yeah, now that I know you're up there, man, I'm going to be blowing you up for sure. Sounds awesome. Thanks for having me on, dude. Uh, yeah, appreciate it. Put your money on
1: France. Bobby Warshaw says so. All right, cheers, brother. Another interview, another episode in the books. Chris, great job interviewing Bobby. Bobby, thanks for coming on, man. You did a great job as well. We will be getting together again on Friday to record again because on Saturday at 4 a.m., I will be driving to Canada where I will not have my phone or a computer really any technology for about a week and i'll be drinking some beer on a lake lake riddell just living the good life so thank you for listening again bobby thanks for coming on the bro love cast eggy chris and i definitely appreciate it if you're ever in philly hit us up we'll grab a beer we'll catch you next time have a good night and a good week peace while from my brain
3: is where I bleed Insanity, it seems It's got me by my soul to squeeze Well, all the love for me